Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another evening, another weeknight, reflecting into the richness of our faith. This Tuesday night is devoted to the great Christian thinkers in history. And I have John O'Hara with me to reflect upon this great topic. John, it is good to have you with me tonight. Thank you, Joe. John, um, for these first few weeks, what we've been about essentially is uh, not so much taking up these great figures quite yet. Uh, really, we're about establishing why we should be studying history and ultimately what is history. So last week, taking up that question, why history, we really focused in on the principle of memory, you know, the, the, this great catalyst of the human spirit, what St. Augustine called uh, of the three faculties of the soul, the greatest faculty of the soul. Because in the end, if we do not remember, you know, who we are and what we are doing and where we are going, the intellect and will will not serve its purpose. So for this reason, the intellect, or the uh, memory rather, uh, that this immense womb, this immense sanctuary is a leading catalyst for us to talk about as we did last week. St. Augustine was had a great memory, a huge IQ for memory. And uh, his City of God, he talked about the Roman political situation going back many years. And he was trying to prove that the, the uh, Christian gods were actually better for the Romans than the pagan gods. He knew all the facts of Roman history. What a memory. Without, yeah. without newspapers, without TV, he remembered all of this stuff. And ourselves, when we go about our daily life, Memory plays a huge part. Who are we? We are our past. Mm -hmm. And when we project into the future, we go back to our memory, into our past, and that has a lot to do with what we're going to do with our lives today yeah. and next week. Amen, John. History does not spring forth from non-event. We must study it for what it is um, because it really routes our whole identity. There was that great quote you had from uh, the professor last week. Uh, the, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that it uh, a lack of history is like having cultural, cultural Alzheimer's. Yes, yes. Yeah. If we don't know history, we don't know where we are. You know, yeah. we're just here today, and I guess we go do our shopping and maybe watch some. T you know, but it's cultural Alzheimer's because you just don't know where you are. Yes, where your culture is. Yeah, I mean, it's as simple, John, as without our memory, I could not finish this sentence. We could not carry on in a conversation. You know, so. Yes, memory is important as it relates to identity. Of course, you know, Paul is writing to Timothy, guard the deposit of faith, hand on the faith for the sake of the memory of Christ. Yes. You know, that we would remember. And this is why, of course, last week we took up the great words of Christ, do this in remembrance of me. The liturgy, the mass is that privileged locus, that, that centerpiece where we have uh, this wonderful a gift to have conversation with the past, and we do so for the sake of our identity. And so why study history? 
to become a better version of who God wants us to be. And St. Paul and the apostles just had Christ and their memory of him. I think they pretty much knew Christ was not going to come back in the flesh as he had before. If they were going to carry on his word, it had to be through their memory. They didn't have the gospels yet. Yeah. But they had memory and and maybe they had some written materials, I don't know, but they didn't have a New Testament. They had memory and uh, just a passion. Well, they had that memory up. Yeah, yeah, they had the Holy Spirit. What did Christ right. say? I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he will bring to your memory. Yes. Right? Yes. Now, there is a practical aspect to it, John, because what does Paul do? Okay, he's, Paul experiences dramatic conversion. And in the book of Acts, we read how, you know, he, he's, he's preaching truth, you know, and we have this idea that he's setting the world on fire right away. But in fact, that's not what happens. If you go back into his letter to the Galatians, he talks about being away for three years. In the book of Acts, all we have is he went away for a while. Well, in his letter to, to the Galatians, he lets us know that, well, that while was three years. He had to reconcile who <laughs> this person of Jesus Christ is. Ultimately, the fact that he just persecuted yes. Jesus Christ and his followers, of course, stoning Stephen to death. Now, what does he do? And this is what just, it's fun to, to read this. You know, you go into Galatians, he sits down with Peter, and in the Greek, he interviews him for 15 days. Well, was, was Peter writing this stuff down? No, they were just talking. John, like you and I are now, we're talking. And certainly, Peter was pulling from his memory. And why could he do yes. that? Because yes, we have a memory and we're wired for God in this way, but also because he had the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in that gift... He was made to remember the truths of Jesus Christ, you know, and amen to that. Yes. I mean, he told Paul, and don't forget Pentecost Sunday, he gave a tremendous speech thanks to the Holy Spirit. Yes. They all yes. did. They all just kind of made an about face from their behavior beforehand. And yeah, that memory of Christ in his life and all the hours and weeks, months, years they spent with him and finally realizing exactly who he was. Yes. That memory spurred them on. That's why we study history. Yes. You know, to strengthen our identity and who we are. What is history, John? What is history? History comes from the Latin historia, meaning to weave a pattern. To weave a pattern. And I think here we can insert a beautiful quote from Mark Twain that helps us better understand history when he says... History does not repeat itself, but it does have a rhyme scheme. <laughs> you know, as you know, when, when we study secular history, John, you know, we open up our Western Civ book and, and what do we see? You know, we read about Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, so on and so forth, and even into the you know, 18th, 19th, 20th centuries, these totalitarian, communist, fascist regimes. What we discover is, yes, all of these leaders, all of these nations, all of these ideologies, um, they were never exactly the same, but there was a rhyme scheme. And certainly a rhyme scheme that was solidified in the idea of absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yes. Nonetheless, we can begin to appreciate, John, the importance of what Mark Twain is talking about in relationship to what is history when we look back into you know, our timeline that we all study growing up, right? And 
In light of that, in light of the timeline, John, one of the things I think we, we need to talk about is time itself. So, what is time? It's more than your wristwatch. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And on that note, John, you go back into Genesis, the book of Genesis, and what do we read? The first day, God created. The second day, God created. The third day, God created. But what we miss often is what is underneath the meaning of day itself. The Hebrew word for day is yom. Right? It is not tied to what is linear. It is not tied to what is horizontal. It's tied to what is vertical. God's time. Okay? So it's not about chronology or chronos. It's about what we call in Christian theological circles, kairos, chirology. And to simply define it, John, kairos is God's time, grace time, purpose-driven time. In fact, the Hebrew itself speaks to purpose-driven time, the yom. So St. Augustine says, (laughs) days in the story of creation are not measured with clocks are not measured with watches, but measured by ultimately why God created man to love, to love and dig of glory to him. So for this reason, we are to set out on a path, John, in our study of history. Yes, to better understand that the people who have shaped and formed history chronologically, but ultimately uh, what is lying underneath Kronos, and that's Kairos, God's time grace time. Excellent point, Joe. One of the interesting things about studying history is what's going on beneath the stories of the day-to-day, the rise and fall of empires. What is going on beneath that? That's, you know, what what really made Woodrow Wilson tick, if that's your interest. Okay, sure, you got you to sure. get below what he did day-to-day. Yeah. And, and Kairos history, uh, grace-filled history, is at the core of the history of the Catholic Church because it was in those moments that the Catholic Church took on why Christ founded it in the first place. Yeah. And so when we study church history, those are moments that we should look at. And if I could just digress for a minute. Of course. <laughs> I, stu- I studied political science in college. That was my major. But I took a lot of history. And am I glad I did, because the stories of the past made that politics come alive. Without mm-hmm. the history, I would, you know, I wouldn't know nearly as much politics as I do, and I don't know much, but the history really helped, and those stories absolutely captivated me and taught me a lot, and uh, it put a face to politics. Yes, and amen to that, John. Yeah, this brings back into play uh, John Paul II's words from last week, that history is not a series of chronological events, but it's an event of freedom. Essentially, he is saying in that quote, John, it it is an event of man, an event of man. That's powerful stuff. And if you're going to understand that, then you got to get into the historical setting, the historical context, the cultural milieu, everything that belonged to that man and why he made the decisions he made. Today, there's a culture of death, as John Paul II talked about it, right? And so the decisions we make have a particular context to the culture that we live in, right? And so it's very important to, as you say, be present to the people and the people in context. Of course, as we will be studying the saints (laughs) and the saints in the historical context. That statement of John Paul II is profound. 
when you consider we are the only animals that have free choice. Yes. Freedom is at our essence. Yeah. Uh, however, we have to live in groups, and our freedom depends upon the freedom other people choose because we, we need to live in a group. And so the study of history is, in a sense, our study of the correct use of freedom. Did we make the wise choice with the freedom God gave us? Yes, freedom is never autonomous from law. Correct. You know, I can go outside go outside this radio station. I can run a red light, but there's going to be consequence. Correct. You know, it's always bound by law. So this is definitely a point of uh, what history is all about. Uh, we humans live in Kronos time. We have to. God does not live in time. And yet, we are made in the image and likeness of God. And somehow, we have to adjust our chronos time to comport with his kairos time. That's a tough assignment. Um, there may have been unfortunate things that happened in our life, and it was terrible when it was going on. And maybe years later, we say, oh, that's when I really improved my life. That may have been God's, chrono, uh, God's kairos time. It sure didn't appear to us to be that way when we were going through the bad times. We've yeah. all been through bad times, and we may have come out of them better than we were before. But the difference between God's time and our time is difficult, at least for me, to reconcile. Yeah. You know, because I can't, you know, I, I'm going to die, and uh, and God isn't. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a tension there. Yes. I mean, the, the, there's a tension. It really puts into focus the importance of time itself. Really. There's something interesting when you really start thinking about this, John. I remember when I was uh, at Chico State in a Western Civ class, the, the professor comes in and he says, uh, I've got an announcement to make. Okay, you know, what's, what's the announcement? He says, we no longer are to talk about the timeline in the context of B.C. and A.D., but B.C.E. and C.D. So it's no longer before Christ and you know, Anno Domini, Year of Our Lord, but it's now before Common Era and Common Era. Well, what's the problem in that, John? Ultimately, you still have God becoming man, God entering human history, and for all intents and purposes, defining Kronos, literally speaking, right? Because every time we put a date on the corner of a paper, we are proclaiming that this day, today, February 25th, 2014, is February 25th, year of our Lord, 2014. Kronos is constantly caught up in Kairos, God's time, grace time. Yes, that is. I was annoyed when that happened, and I still <laughs> don't refer to it that way, although it, it happens a lot. And you're, you're absolutely right, Joe. 2014, we know exactly what happened 2014 years ago. Um. The attempt to get secular atheism into our culture is unfortunate in the sense that if you take secular atheism for what it is, man really has no rights. I mean, it was done because we wanted to give rights to people who were not Christian. However, once you take away grace in the minds of those people who do take away grace, yes. then what are we? Yes. We are just... Apes that carry briefcases yeah, yeah. or something, you know? <laughs> that is a, a wonderful image in a way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, and really, this is why, John, we are talking about the stuff of history. Yeah. 
right? Why study history? What is history? Because those two questions, again, they lay the foundation for everything that we're going to talk about in the future. And if we cannot rekindle our sense of uh, history and our study of history with those two questions, then they lose their compass. And we need that compass. It's a moral compass, ultimately. And it really establishes us, again, who we are and where we are going. Now, John, we talk about history as this word in its Latin that means to weave a pattern. You know, Mark Twain says, history does not repeat itself, but it does have a rhyme scheme. As we note Kairos, God's time, grace time, and how ultimately Christ fulfills history, transforms history, and sets it on its proper axis, what does that mean? You know, where are we to go to, to best understand uh, the, the, the meaning and purpose of Christ within the context of history? Well, we have uh, an, a very important word in our Christian faith. It's given to us in Romans 5.14, type, that uh, Adam was a type of Christ. Uh, why is that important, that word, for our study tonight, John? The word type in the Greek typos means figure, example, and pattern. Pattern. You know, we, we hear the word type, maybe we think of a, a typewriter. Now, I know I'm dating myself, and certainly, yeah. John, you would have used a typewriter. <laughs> What's the idea here when I say impression? Well, just like, you know, you, you, you type a letter, it strikes the canvas. What does that typed letter do? It, it leaves an impression on the canvas, okay? Uh, so, in, in doing so, it leaves what? A pattern. A pattern. And what we have in the Old Testament, and this is what Paul develops, certainly this is what Christ talks about on the road to Emmaus, right? Showing, teaching how he's a new Moses. Uh, what we have are these figures who are types, ultimately, of Jesus Christ. And in those types, we have a continuity that can be developed within the context of history that is found in sacred scripture. Good point. I think when we take a look at church history and typology and Kairos and Kronos, let's just take a, a look at Jonah and the whale. Okay, there's that's typology. But when we take a look at Jonah and the whale, we should take a look at Where's the Kairos? Where's the grace-filled event in that? And as we go through church history, we should be looking for the grace-filled moments. Let's just take a look at the Crusades. Yeah. Okay, that took a hundred and a half years. Should we get to the Crusades? I want to know where are the grace-filled moments? We know that there were wars, and we know that territory was won and lost, but where was the grace-filled moment? And what can we take out of that? What was, what was God trying to teach us? Were there grace-filled moments in the Crusades? Yeah. When we look at all of our passages, where were the grace-filled mo moments, and how did that help us? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it really is a, a wonderful question to take up in each and every study, insofar as looking at where God is working and how God is working. Because for every typological study, there's something profound behind it. What do I mean? Well, let's take Abraham as an example, a story that I think is familiar, John, with all of our listeners. Uh, this father, he, he asks his son to go and get wood for a holocaust, for an offering. 
who is his son Isaac. And obediently, Isaac goes and gets wood. He comes back. And what does Abraham ask him to do? Carry this wood up a mountain. And Isaac asks, well, you know, why would I want to do that? So they go up to the mountain, and there is uh, this profound insight into the importance of typology. Why? Because here you have a father who, is asked, who has asked his son to take wood, put it on his back, go up a mountain, and become a sacrifice, you see. And in that moment, in that moment, of course, we have the angel of the Lord intervene, and in doing so, a wonderful example of Abraham's obedience and Isaac's meekness, but also a prefiguring of God the Father and his own son, Jesus Christ. That indeed, God the Father would ask his own son to take wood, put it on his back, go up a mountain, and become a holocaust. Now, here's my point, John. <laughs> we talk about the meaning of, of the stories behind these great figures. From, from Noah to Abraham to Moses to, to David, you have these patriarchs, these figures who are mediators on behalf of God, who were all about offering everything that they had to God, and in doing so, entered deeper into relationship with God. And it was always in the Old Testament, John, at the point of sacrifice that the covenant with God would be established. Right? Noah, you know, he finds land. What's the first thing he does? He, he offers a holocaust. And we can spend all night talking about this. But again, it's the idea that sacrifice... And the reality, that sacrifice, is the hallmark to establishing relationship with God. And he is a type. Here we go again. Mark Twain. Yep. You can begin to see the rhythm and the tenor that is established throughout salvation history, constantly pointing towards Christ. You know, of course, Moses Christ is a new Moses. You know, here you have, you know, that the Pharaoh offered this wicked decree that all Hebrew male children under the age of two shall die. And so Moses is uh, sent down the Nile in a wicker basket. Of course, Herod offers this wicked decree and, you know, Christ has his own flight into Egypt. And it's, it's all fascinating stuff. But what's behind it is relationship. Relationship. That's the grace. That's what belongs to God in all of it. Keep that word grace in your mind. In 399 B.C., Socrates was executed. And on his way to his execution, he comes across a man named Euthyro. Euthyro is going to court to have a case against his father, whom he plans to kill, because his father has disappointed the gods, and the gods want Euthyro to kill his father. Here's a, this is a little bit kind of like Abraham's story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Socrates engages this man in a conversation about can the gods really tell you to kill your father? Is this, and so Socrates explores this. This, of course, reminds me of Abraham, because God told Abraham to do something which was seemingly awful. Yeah. And, but there was a purpose to it, a good purpose. Abraham made up for Adam's sin. He obeyed God in an absolutely difficult situation and uh, was the father of of the Jews because of that. Yeah, yeah. And that story, or at least the comparison of those two, I mean, I'm really not too giving a very good explanation of this, but the comparison of those no, two stories no. really impresses me because God 
was far more to Abraham than these gods were to Euthro telling him to kill his father. Yeah, and really, these types offer for us more than just what is to prefigure Christ, you know, John, as much as they also model for us how to live. You know, Abraham's obedience, Abraham's uh, submission, Isaac's meekness, you know, these are types that, yes, prefigure Christ, but they also point what it means to be a, a better Christian, too. And so certainly, they're not only types in, you know, the spiritual sense of understanding the dynamic unity of the Old and New Testament, but... Um, they are types of what it means to be the best version of who God is calling us to be, certainly. And really, that's a wonderful example, because we share in this, in this beautiful way, we kind of share in the drama of salvation history when we learn from these examples. You know, and you've, you've already mentioned the saints. You know, the saints, uh, one after another, are, are part of this rhyme scheme. And again, we'll talk much more about this, you know, in upcoming weeks, but uh, when we really come to grips with what it means to understand what history is, that history essentially is defined by individuals uh, making the right decisions, wrong decisions, you know, <laughs> ultimately uh, we can learn from their mistakes and we can learn from their virtue, you know, and in doing so, history is serving its purpose for us, yeah. And find out the grace that is in our church and the grace that is in our saints, and how we can put that into ourselves so that we can live in the image and likeness of Christ, which is what he wants us to do every hour of our day. Yeah. And that's why history is important, because it helps me to understand the church that I'm a part of. Amen. And, and God writes straight with crooked lines. <laughs> huh? I mean, God takes everything unto himself, and he gives it meaning, even the bad, even the death of his own son. You know, the greatest wow. paradox of our faith. Think about it. Our salvation comes through that. Oh, happy fault, we declare. And he's right. I mean, it's such, uh, you talked about tension earlier. Wow. So in the end, John, we are to take what we've talked about today, most especially what we can learn ultimately and how God uses it. Yeah. But also... Kairos and Kronos, time itself. I, I, I love to go into the minutes of a day to really hammer this home. And this might be our closing reflection for tonight, John. There are 1,440 minutes in a day. Researchers tell us we sleep away approximately 440 minutes. That leaves us with 1,000 minutes in a day. Now, let's put this in context here. If we are praying our devotionals, Going to Mass, that's probably 45 minutes to an hour. Maybe we, we pray the Divine Office, the Psalms, okay? Hour and a half. That's 90 minutes of 1,000 minutes. We need to up the ante a little bit and how we are spending time with God. I mean, let's throw this out there. We were talking a little bit about this last week. For those of you who are really into fitness, how many hours do you not only spend time working out physically, but actually spend time thinking about what you're going to do. I'd imagine hundreds of minutes. God is calling for a balance, body and soul, flesh and spirit. We need to give more time to God so that our chronos ultimately will be informed by kairos. And once we do that, we are well on our way, John. 
We are well on our way. And again, all of this comes out of reflection on history because history has meaning. It has purpose. It has rhymes. Yes, yes. (laughs) Amen to that. Amen to that. And so let us take up uh, that which God puts before us in our daily vocation. Um, And always mindful of those who have gone before us, who have made sacrifices, that we will have made their sacrifice worthwhile. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.